When you view your product as a connected system, you can apply systems thinking to really understand what are all the concepts in the product, how are they related and connected to each other, and where do those connections drive value? This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub, a platform that helps people to get into the field of UX writing. And today we have a really interesting guest. I flew to his workshop in Ireland one day because I really want to see this person speak live and uh, it was like a couple of years ago already and that was a blast and a lot of fun and I've been following his work for years now and I'm extremely excited to have him today. His name is Jonathan Coleman, Managed Team of Content Designers at HubSpot. Hey Jonathan, how are you? Hey Yaval, it's good to see you again. How have you been? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. So good to have you here and I've been waiting for a while to have you since we just launched the podcast. You were like one of the first people I want to, to interview and I'm very happy to have you here today. Well, thank you for having me and uh, you've also had uh, Lindsay from our team in the past, so uh, thank you for having her as well. Of course. HubSpot is really well known for creating really like useful content for techies. I found myself on the HubSpot website a lot in the past just because of like great SEO and great content marketing basically and everyone knows what not everyone but what great really good marketing is creating content that's useful and just giving it away and this is what HubSpot has been doing for years now and I really appreciate uh, them for that so yeah we talked with Lindsay about the inclusivity guidelines that you've published uh, I think it was like six months ago and now there is like a lot of amazing content by HubSpot for content designers. So that's pretty awesome too. Yeah, we're uh, growing our team a lot right now. So we're really deeply investing in content design and bringing new people onto the team uh, throughout our entire product org. And what I think you'll see happen alongside that is that people will be talking more about the work they're doing. So I hope you'll be seeing more content design uh, work and blog posts from us soon. Amazing. I'd say that content design as a title is something that many companies decided to adopt in the last, I would say, one year, two years, maybe three years maximum. But what do you think about that transition? Yeah, it's been really interesting to see. You know, if I think back a long time ago, maybe, maybe, maybe 10 years ago, give or take, is when Christina Halverson's article came out about content strategy. And so suddenly there were a lot of people who moved into that field and you started seeing a lot of content strategists. Before that, though, people were still doing this work. They just used many different titles. And I don't think there was much of a, like a, a connected community around it. So it's been mm -hmm. fascinating to watch it change over the entire period of time, even going to, as far back to the late 90s for people working in publishing, both online and off. They were still doing this work. Anyways, I really like the transition to content design. I think content strategy to you know most of our, our partners, the people we work with, was sort of a, an ambiguous term. And it meant that content strategists had to spend a lot of time introducing themselves and talking about what they do and why it matters. Whereas with content design, I think particularly in a product context, where they're usually working alongside product design, it, it's just a lot clearer and more sort of instantly applicable to the kind of work that's going on. I agree. I really love the fact that many companies that, you know, call their writers content strategists, like Facebook, for example, or Shopify the last year decided to change it to content design 
And once that happened, you can see how these companies also instantly recruited way more writers that be hands-on writing their products. So it really improved also the practice and the idea that we should focus on it as a, as a practice in many companies. So I think that was pretty good. I think it also comes with additional responsibilities because when you put design in your title, you know, you're expected to work against a, a full design process. So a lot of teams work against, say, the double diamond process or some internal version of that. So you're expected to have, you know, full end-to-end -end impact on whatever it is you're building or the problem you're solving for customers. And I think that helps content designers do a lot more than just write the words on the interface, although that's obviously very challenging and very uh, impactful as well. I think there's a lot more that content design helps make clear to people who work on product. I agree. What was that double diamond method you've mentioned? Yeah, sure. So the double diamond model is a way for anyone to sort of work in an ambiguous space and to try to understand what is the problem, how do we know it's a problem, and align a team on, you know, what is the definition of this problem? How are we defining it? What are the boundaries we place around it in, in time or space or the people it affects, things like that. And so the first diamond is really focused on, you know, what is the problem we're trying to solve? And do we all agree on that? And then the second diamond in this process is more focused on the solution. So that's where we go out and, uh, you know, think really big, explore a range of hypotheses for solving the problem and try to build confidence on what direction might be best for us. And so we use things like research, analytics, you know, any uh, sort of data or objective evidence we have at hand to, to, after we do that think big piece, to kind of narrow down on the solution to the problem that's going to work best. And obviously all of that's very contextual, depend on the problem and the people it affects and the organization working on it. But when you get into the later stages of that second diamond, that's when you're actually uh, building and, and shipping that solution out. Uh, to the people who use the product. There's a lot more information. I bet if you have show notes, we can include a, a link or two to this process. Amazing. We'll do that. Thanks for sharing. Back in like a few years ago, when I went into your workshop, the workshop was mainly about building voice and tone, correct? For like mm -hmm. digital products. And one of the biggest challenges that I have today for clients or uh, even talking with, you know, people from the community is, you know, Sometimes you you work on a SaaS product, like, you know, for example, HubSpot, that could be a great idea. Marketing-wise, it's very clear what is the brand voice of HubSpot. And like, it's, I don't know if it's very clear, but, you know, it's clearly that you have a brand voice. But how can you take, for example, a complicated B2B dashboard and make sure that the voice and tone of the product is actually shown in the app itself. Do you have some methods to do that? Because it's a big challenge that I'm facing these days. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. And, and I think this is something a lot of content design teams play to have to face as a challenge, which is products are big spaces and they're built by many, many different people. And, you know, in, in our case, some of those teams may have content designers working with them. Some of them may not. And so how do you make things consistent? If you have that brand voice defined or a set of tones, a spectrum of tones, how do you make sure that uh, people use them in the right place at the right time in the right way and do that you know, consistently throughout the product? It's a massive struggle. All organizations struggle with this. And what I think just sort of as a baseline philosophy 
a good thing to do is, is to view your entire product as being one big system, by which I mean, you know, it's very easy for product teams and for people who work on product to sort of think about their work in silos. Oh, what I do here really has a hard set of boundaries. It doesn't affect anything over here. And I think that's the wrong way of going about it. When you view your product as a connected system, you can apply systems thinking to really understand what are all the concepts in the product? How are they related and connected to each other? And where do those connections drive value? And if you have a firm understanding of that, then you'll understand that when you take some action, do some design work in, you know, X part of the product, that it has a link over to Y part of the product. And so therefore, you should probably have a conversation with those people. And I think that's really what it is. It's understanding the system and then it's talking about it, aligning, making sure we're on the same page, helping to understand that what you do in one area of the product affects something in another area. It can get more complicated than that. I can imagine systems and tooling and process and all sorts of things designed to, to make this easier. But at the end of the day, we just sort of have to be willing to talk to each other. I definitely agree. A big challenge that I was facing with the teams that I've worked with was that there was a very clear distance between the way that the team and the company perceived the voice and tone of the company and the way that the customers and the users perceived the voice and tone. So for example, I had this one company that says, we're fierce, we're fast, we're, we're courage. And you know, when we asked, we did some kind of a survey for the users and they say the product is, is more like knowledgeable, but definitely not fierce or courage, you know? So mm. there's some kind of a gap between that. What's your take on that? Well, I don't have a strong opinion and maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I also don't have a strong opinion, by the way. Yeah, I guess what I often find in discussions about voice and tone is that they're not well-founded in or in research. And so it ends up coming down to the opinion of like, hey, who's the loudest person in the room or who has the strongest opinion? which is one way of solving it, but it's probably not a great way. And so like, I, I think that these discussions that come down to opinion are hard. I'm not sure how valuable they are. What I wonder is if you know there's a way to bring customers or users into this conversation and ask them, oh, what do you see as you know being the, the tone in place here? How would you define emotion or, or the approach in this language? It'd be really interesting to get their insights. And that gives you a way of making the conversation a little bit more objective and less subjective. Mm -hmm. Every company has also like their own kind of take on that and it's definitely a subjective. So I've been following your journey like for a while now and, and now you, you're managing a team of content designer at HubSpot. So what are the challenges that you're facing today as a manager of a, a content design team? Yeah, so first of all, I feel super lucky to be at HubSpot. We're um, at a place in our history where we're investing strongly in content design. We've been really focused on bringing new people into the team. So we've been hiring nine new content designers and we will be expanding that into hiring 20 plus new people over the next Whoa. year. So the team is more than doubling in size, getting close to tripling. And that's because our leadership have seen the impact that content design has, not just in moving our business forward, but in solving our customers' problems. And we understand that using objective data um, so we can see um, how content designers have worked as part of their product teams and in strong partnership with roles like product design, product management, engineering, tech leads, research, and so on. We can see where content designers have had impact 
in solving customers' problems and moving our business forward. And I think content designers have that, that challenging dual mandate. We can't just move the business forward without caring about our customers. We would never do that. But we also can't just solve our customers' problems without moving the business forward. We need to find ways to do both. So in terms of managing content design, one of the fun things I get to do here is not just manage my own team, but I'd like to also start leveling up other people who manage content designers. So our content design team is uh, decentralized. So that means that content designers working in a given product group report up to their local UX managers who might manage researchers as well or product designers as well. And so I'm trying to build a community not just for content designers, but also for the people who manage them and make sure we're all learning from each other. We all can lean on each other for support and we can all level up together as well as we bring new people onto the team. So it's very exciting. It's a lot of fun. And again, I feel lucky to be here to have the opportunity. Amazing. And I'm very excited for your team to expand and hire 20 more writers. This is amazing. I really love it when companies right now just leveling up and tripling their content design and, and UX writing teams. That's exciting. Yeah. And I noticed that you, you had this really cool article that you've published lately about what are you looking for when you're hiring uh, people for uh, content design and shared really great insights about, about what to do when you submit your portfolio, for example, or your CV. Uh, you had really great tips, like share only two or three projects and not like 20 projects like many people tend to do. I also tend to do it myself in UX design and also focus on clarity over fancy design. Uh, I also love that tip. Uh, so what else are you looking for when hiring content designer? Yeah, absolutely. Just to like back up a step to like, hey, why did we write this in the first place? If you're like me, and I definitely am, something I'm just not good at is reading people's minds. I'm not intuitive that way. I'll, I'll never really be good at understanding you know, what's going through someone's head right now. And so I'm not good at guessing is what I'm really trying to get at. That sort of stress and anxiety associated with like guessing or trying to read someone's mind, understanding what they're looking for in a portfolio or an interview or, or a conversation sometimes can stop people from you know applying for a role that they'd be well qualified for and would be very successful in. So what I'm trying to do in this blog post is remove some of that anxiety. I don't want people to have to guess about what we look for. I don't want them to have to try to read my mind or anything like that. And what I hope is that by being really explicit and clear, like, hey, here are the things we value. No, really, we really care about just these things. We make the job of putting together a portfolio smaller, faster, and easier. We also help people to apply who might not have applied otherwise. And we just make it hopefully a, a just a more enjoyable experience. My underlying philosophy here is that when people know what's expected of them, they can do their very best. And I love seeing people do their very best. So I'm trying to make that as easy as possible. But to answer your question, yeah, exactly. You, you already listed a bunch of the things. I think most content designers feel like they have to have a very fancy design portfolio. And so I want to state up front, uh, and you'll see it in this blog post, that we really do value clarity over the fanciness of design. We don't care if it looks like a fancy, expensive design agency built your portfolio. Just make it clear. And we give you some tips 
some of the key things that I think are really important is that we really do care about the process people use to solve problems. So I mentioned, for example, the double diamond process earlier. That's one way of doing it. It's not the only way. It's just a, a process used by many design teams. But what we're trying to do when we look at work is we're trying to understand what makes it good. How did you know that this was the right or the best way to solve a problem? What did you uh, look for in terms of evidence to support your decisions? How did you rationalize them with your partners? What was your process like for iteration? How did you diverge and converge and iterate along the way? All of those things, uh, including things like, hey, what constraints did you face? What, what were the barriers in your way? What trade-offs did you make? All of those things help us understand your design process and essentially what makes the work good. So those are examples of the questions we ask whenever we look at content design work, but especially in work samples or portfolios that are sent to us. Amazing. Those are great tips. And if you're listening to it right now and you're submitting your portfolio, I recommend to sit down with a pen and pencil and just write everything down because those are great questions that your portfolio should answer, in my opinion. And my favorite part was don't make it fancy. Many people tend to even like try themselves, build it like on a Wix website and then they invest like one month just on the like aesthetics of it. And we always tell right. our students, listen, put it as a notion document even and just like mm -hmm. write down what like the actual stuff that is your work and why it is good. And just make it look nice. And Notion already did it for you. So Notion would be a really nice solution. Don't yeah. invest too much time on the fanciness. That's a great tip. We let people submit their work to us in whatever works best for them. <laughs> so like it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a deck of slides. It can be a PDF file. It can be a Notion site. We get people submitting work in Figma sometimes, Google Docs as well. Right. It's really whatever works best for you. We, we don't care what the format is. We care about understanding the work and doing so in a way where it's clear what you personally did. Amazing. Now, let's say that I've submitted my work and I'm in a process of joining uh, your team, hopefully. Are you supporting the idea of giving people home assignments or do you have some other methodology to test people's work before hiring them? Yeah, we're really against doing um, homework assignments or things like that. I've done these in the past and I, I never felt happy with my work personally. But as someone who had to take that work on, You know, I was lucky. I, I was greatly privileged to be able to say like, oh, okay, well, I'll just work on this at night or over the weekend. And, you know, that way I can do it. But not everyone has that privilege or that opportunity. So people who have children, for example, or, or who may be caregivers for adults, members of their family or friends, people working more than one job, or really just people uh, who are already perhaps burnt out or, or overwhelmed, it seems unfair to ask them to do unpaid work. So we don't do that. What we try to do is we set up both our candidates with clear expectations and our interviewers to have a conversation And we think that's where the best understanding comes out. So I've already mentioned that sort of the guiding philosophy for that blog post on portfolios and what we look for is meant to set up people for success. Once people are interviewing with us, we give them additional information, prep links to not just HubSpot pieces, but lots of other things, including, for example, the double diamond, in order to help them understand what we're looking for. So they go into each of those conversations well prepared, knowing who they'll be meeting, what kinds of questions we'll ask them, and even what we are looking for in that interview. So none of it's a mystery. 
We really try to reduce all of that ambiguity and pressure as much as we can in order to, to try to better get out, you know, what is this person? What do you think is good? How do you solve problems? How do you work with other kinds of people? How do you bring customers or users into your work? How do you, you yourself deal with ambiguity when you face it and making decisions? All sorts of things like that. Amazing. Sounds like a very interesting process. And it's even like candidates that don't move to the next steps could learn a lot just from like being in those interviews and can learn a lot about like to do it well, how to be a great content designer. So I really like that. And to be honest, I think that most companies today, at least most companies I heard of, do those home assignments. And I think it's a really great attitude to not go with the notion of the industry and say, cut, and this is not where we're going right now. And we're not going into the home assignment direction, which is kind of the easy path, right? Like it's harder for you to do something like that. Yeah, I think it sets you up to do work without a lot of context in an artificial condition that doesn't really mirror or mimic what working on a real team would be like. It's not like you're working on that homework assignment with your engineering, design, and product management partners. So you're just sort of doing it on your own with maybe a paragraph or two of context. That, that's simply not how we work in the real world. So I often don't think that these homework assignments capture much about anything of a content designer's, you know, actual expertise and the impact they can have and, and what they can do for customers and, and for a company. So again, I, I think they're highly biased towards people with lots of time on their hands. And I know people are successful in doing them, which is great, but uh, we choose not to do them. Nice. I like that. I'd love to talk a little bit more about HubSpot. So I've been using HubSpot a few times in, in the past. And first of all, there is so many products of HubSpot, right? You have like the CMS and the CRMs and the sales and the marketings and the free tools and so on. And of course, every one of them comes with like a set of many other products that goes along with it and analytics and so on. So my question for you would be now that you're expanding your content design team, even beforehand, so how do you know where to focus your content design efforts when you have such a huge legacy product? Yeah, so this gets into like an interesting discussion that I think is happening in the content design industry today, which is like, should you focus on breadth and, and sort of try to cover everything, all of your product services, you know, the entire everything? Or should content designers work more narrowly and more deeply because of that? It's an interesting conversation. I think there's many ways to, to sort of uh, address this issue and answer that, that question. But where we try to focus content design in general is try to determine things like, well, where are there problems to solve? Uh, you know, essentially, where can we add a value for our customers and for a business with the content design set of tools? So where's their opportunity for content design to have an impact? That should not be spread equally everywhere. It's probably going to be in discrete problem areas or product spaces. It's probably not just the same wherever you go in the product. So that's one one thing we look for. The other thing is that a lot of those problems tend to look somewhat similar. And so we look for opportunities where content designers can practice systems thinking, perhaps do information architecture work, think through things like uh, product ecosystems or wherever in our product, for example, that we have to create or address somehow new concepts. So we have uh, content designers doing concept design is uh, what I think of as part of systems thinking. There's many opportunities in product that are very deep, well below the surface, that I think greater customer impact and business impact than, than just writing the words on the surface. 
So that's a big priority for us. It's not that we don't do any writing. We do writing all the time. It's really important. But when content designers have to focus to work deeply on a problem, closely with the team, be a dedicated partner to them, rather than moving around a lot all the time and having to context switch because of that. We simply see them be more successful. We also see them grow in their careers because they're building new skills, they're having much more uh, impact, and they are recognized for that impact. So that's just an overview, but that's give or take how, how I see this. That's a, an amazing answer. Thank you for that. Maybe this example is kind of far away from how do you feel today, but there is, even if it's not at HubSpot, but there is still many companies today that kind of don't hire a lot of content designers, if at all. Like I know people right now in the industry that just don't agree to hire UX writers or content designers. I'm not sure if it's uh, because of my country or so on. But my question for you is, what would be a tip for people that are not aware right now to the huge impact that content designers and UX writers can have on a product? This is something that you know happens today, but many companies don't know this impact is even exists. So how can you maybe educate those companies even? Well, it occurs to me right off the bat that some companies may not be ready for this. And so in those cases, what they might want to do is uh, to try to build up the content design tool set amongst their existing employees. Because, you know, at the end mm -hmm. of the day, the work is still being done. It's being done by someone or maybe someone's. It just may not be getting done well. And so I think if those companies are honest with themselves and, you know, start doing some research into their customer user experience, a dive into their data, they might begin to see patterns of opportunities. Maybe those patterns look like, you know, low adoption after someone starts a trial or low activation of the product after someone's been using it, or lots of people who sign up and then abandoned the product or people who maybe activate and, and could be paying, but don't end up renewing. Those are very general cases to be clear, but they would begin to point at things where content design might have an opportunity to make things clearer. If you actually talked with customers, you might discover things like, oh, well, there was no onboarding or I didn't understand the onboarding or the onboarding wasn't relevant to me, or I don't understand, you know, where to find the things, uh, maybe that points to an information architecture problem, or maybe you keep talking in the product about this concept. I don't know what that concept is. Or maybe, hey, I do know what that concept is, but I just don't understand how you've organized it, which might point to a, a divide between the customer's mental model and the company's system model. All of those things could be opportunities for content design. So maybe if companies, again, are honest with themselves and do that digging, they can find those opportunities, which might help them convince themselves that they need this discipline. Regardless, that work is still happening. And so maybe there is a space in some of our partner fields like product management, product design, engineering, for those disciplines to have some basic understanding of content design systems thinking all the way up to voice and tone, information architecture, so that they can sort of hit a minimum quality bar if they're doing this work alone. I agree. But what happens from my experience is that every time, like uh, when they reach out to me, they say, listen, we tried our best, but now we need 
to, to have better content here, my answer is always, listen, you need to hire a dedicated person that will just be hands on that and not only single person, but many people, but you can start with one. Then <laughs> That can be a good start. And then they need like, they say, no, we just need a quick fix. And I don't know why, but people still have the, the thinking that like this quick fix could still happen. This is like... The way I see it, it's still, it's insane. Yeah, I think what, what happens, I think you're right. Companies will start with one person and, and just assume they can solve all the problems. This sort of gets to that point I was making around, hey, companies aren't ready for this a lot of times. They'll hire that person, expect them to magically wave a magic wand over the content and all the problems are fixed. But as you know, Christina and, and several other people have pointed out over the, the course of uh, the last decade, content is probably the single most political thing in your company. So most of those people who are hired to wave that magic wand and, and suddenly fix all the content find a lot of related issues and they're not empowered to solve those problems. And so companies often feel like, oh, well, we hired a content person. Why isn't the problem solved? It, because the problem isn't content. It's everything that comes in front of the content, how work happens, how we understand problems, how we organize information, how we build product, perhaps. It's simply, it's just a lot more complex than the words on the surface. And so those content people, especially the first content people, ideally, although I think this rarely happens, but ideally should be empowered to work very deeply and to try to get at some of this process development, to try to help the company better understand its own politics and its own political nature and to help them fix those things, not just the words on the surface. Amazing. Thank you for that. All right. So the, we're getting into our last questions for this interview. And my question for you would be, uh, how do you think we should name this episode, Jonathan? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I am uh, a big fan of Ted Lasso. If you could see my office right now, I've got a big believe sign in the back and uh, and I, I and I really it. like this notion, this idea of kindness, which I, I think is sort of at the heart of this the show and this character. So maybe we call this what the the believe episode, the believe episode, and that's gonna be a good one. The believe episode, maybe something around like believe and uh, believe in your content design work. Also, I don't know. I'm just guessing here. Yeah, absolutely. But the believe episode could also work. Yeah. Thank you. In case people want to reach out to you and find you online, where would be the best place to do that? Yeah, I love when folks reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Those are probably the best places to reach me. I've got little presences everywhere, but those are the ones where uh, I'm most active. And anyone who reaches out to me, it may take a while, but I will try to follow up with you. Cool. I'll uh, add the links in the show notes as well. And I have also that inbox saturation. It's so challenging mm -hmm. to kind of manage all of those different information that you have in different social media channels. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. It was amazing to talk with you. So good to see you again. And thank you, everyone. Yeah, it's amazing. So good to see you too. Uh, and thank you, the listeners, for being here in another episode of Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. I really want to recommend uh, you that if you listen to this episode and to Jonathan, and you feel like uh, maybe HubSpot is the right place for you, check out the article about what uh, HubSpot are looking when they're looking for a content designer. And if you feel like you're a good fit, apply. And HubSpot are hiring 20 <laughs> content designers these days. So you might have a really cool opportunity here to have an impact on a huge product with an awesome team. So check it out. 
that's about it. If you like this episode, forward it to your friends, tag us on Twitter, share it on social media, and so on. And until next time, I'm Yuval, and see you next time. Ciao. Believe. Believe, everyone. Believe. Believe. <laughs>